Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office, at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches that's easternchristianmedia.com Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. We opened our program today with some very happy festive music. Just a little bit of a promotion there for our upcoming Prairie Fest at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. Lots of fun, as you can hear. We've got the Tony Blazanchik New Face Polka Band. we got the Neverly Brothers, M&R Rush. It's constant music. Imagine constant live music, all kinds of music, any kind of music you want. It's there for three days. It's called the Prairie Fest, and our parish hosts it here in Homer Glen, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. We're going to have this year, we're going to have a new feature. We're going to have an art fair. So if you're interested in art, if you're an art buff, you like to look at paintings and pieces of art under tents, come on out for Prairie Fest. That's August. That's Friday. starts Friday evening, August 10th, and it goes through Sunday, August 12th. That's Friday, August 10th to Sunday, August 12th. And you can find out about it by going to byzantinecatholic.com, byzantinecatholic.com. As I mentioned, live music, food, raffle prizes. In fact, you could win $5,000 at our grand raffle. There's bingo. There's a bing bag tournament. Great games for the kids. They have a lot of fun at this Prairie Fest. And also, we give tours, tours of the church. And I also personally give tours of our prairie that we are so very, very proud about and upon which we base this whole fest. So please, come on out. Prairie Fest, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, Friday, August 10th to Sunday, August 12th. And again, find out more details by going to byzantinecatholic.com, byzantinecatholic.com. But things are not always so festive everywhere in the church today and in the world. This is particularly true of the Eastern Catholic churches, many of them. As I often say and point out in this program, the Eastern Catholic churches, and they alone, are oftentimes at the epicenter of some of the most crucial global events of our day. And this is particularly true in areas such as the Middle East, where we have Eastern Catholic and Eastern Christian churches. Yes, we have Latin Rite churches and Protestant churches and all kinds of denominations as well. But primarily, we're focused, of course, on this program with the Eastern lung of the church, both Catholic and Orthodox. And in two areas in particular is our area of concern, for which we call upon you to join us in prayer. Just as we are all fighting in our country today, in America, the encroachment on religious liberty from our government because of the health care mandate, so too are there other forms of persecution. 
and other encroachments on religious liberty, many very, very severe, including outright bloodshed and torture and killing. And that's happening where Eastern Catholic churches are, actually, and particularly in the Middle East. We have some grave concerns about some global issues as well that I invite you to join me with, join me in those concerns and also in prayer. For instance, in the country of Syria. Now, in this program, you're probably going to hear things that you don't normally hear anywhere else, certainly not in mainstream media. And one of the things you're not going to hear is that the reigning government, the reigning leaders in the country of Syria, regardless of what we think of them or what our political persuasions are, we're not commenting on that. I'm just going to fill in a little piece of information for you to call you to concern and prayer, to share that concern and prayer with me and all of us here at Light of the East for our Eastern Brethren. The government there has traditionally protected Christians in Syria. And the concern here is that if that government is overthrown, in other words, if the Assad administration steps down, for, is forced out, that there will be open season on Christians. Now, I'm not speaking for or against the Assad administration and any kind of politics. I'm just trying to bring in a little piece of information for you on behalf of our Eastern Christian brethren in the Middle East. So this, just so that you know the situation, it's very complex, obviously. It's very complex. It's not black and white. You can't readily take sides. But I do want you to know, here at Light of the East, as part of our mission, I want you to know that the situation there in Syria is such that Eastern Christians have been protected. But that probably will not happen if the current government fails. So it's just something to be stay tuned for. I'm not supporting that government or condemning it. Again, we're not making comments about that. I'm simply filling in a bit of information that concerns really concerns our Eastern Catholic and Eastern Orthodox Christians in the area of Syria. And again, something you're not going to get on, on regular news. Second area is the area of Egypt. As you know, there's lots of turmoil there again. They did have so-called democratic elections, but the candidate who won, supposedly, fairly, is a member of the Muslim Brotherhood. And once again, it is likely this will put Christians in even greater peril than they have been, if you can imagine that, in Egypt. Many of you may not be aware that there has been a great persecution of Christians in Egypt. In particular, the majority of Christians there are of the Coptic Orthodox and also some Coptic Catholic churches. Now, the Coptic Church, of course, is one of the Eastern churches, and it has an amazing history because it goes all the way back, all the way back to St. Mark the Evangelist, who, according to tradition, was martyred in Alexandria in 63 A.D., now, Alexandria was one of the five major centers of Christianity for a number of centuries. There were five major centers. There was not just Rome. There was Rome, yes. There was also Alexandria, which is in Egypt, of course. There was Antioch. There was Constantinople. And, of course, where it all started in Jerusalem. So Alexandria was very significant. And St. Mark died there in 63 AD. And eventually Egypt became a very, very Christian nation and Alexandria, an extremely important center of theological reflection. And also, this is where monasticism was born. It was born out of the deserts of Egypt. So we owe monasticism to what is now our Coptic Orthodox and Coptic Catholic Christian friends. And in fact, monasticism is still very, very big among the Coptic Orthodox churches. It's flourishing right now. Now, what happened was, in the history of the Coptic Orthodox Church, they eventually became known as that group called the Oriental Orthodox Churches. And these were a group of churches, of which the Coptic Church was one, that rejected at first the teachings of the Council of Chalcedon. And this, this teaching happened in 451 AD, 
and it was about the nature of Christ. In other words, it was fighting what was called the monophysite heresy, and it was establishing the fact that Jesus Christ was both God and man. He was one person, but two distinct natures, not just one nature. That's what the word monophysite means, like one nature. Well, when that true teaching was finally proclaimed at the Council of Chalcedon in 451 AD, some churches rejected it. Now, part of the reason they did, there's a couple of reasons. One of the reasons they did, as what often happens in theological dialogue and even in ecumenical dialogue, it's a matter of understanding of terms. See, it always comes down to words. How does one group of people understand a particular word? Does it match up with the understanding of a particular word from someone else from another culture that speaks another language? This is oftentimes what happens when we have theological discussions and we compare or use words in Latin and in Greek. It's interesting how they don't exactly always precisely line up, or at least the way in which we understand them. So that was part of the problem, the understanding of the meaning of words. The other thing was, unfortunately, as so oftentimes happens, because the church does have a human dimension to it, was politics. See, there was a great rivalry at that time. Again, we're talking about, well, way back in the first few centuries of the church, in particular now the fifth century, there was a rivalry between Constantinople, which of course is today modern-day Istanbul, Turkey, and also the great city of Alexandria. These were two, as I mentioned, two great centers in the Eastern churches, and there was a bit of a rivalry between them. So what happened was, partly because of the opposition to the Byzantine domination, which came from Constantinople, the teachings of the Council of Chalcedon were rejected by the Coptics. And what happened was persecutions that intended to force acceptance only reinforced the resistance. In other words, when the Coptic Christians rejected the, the decree of the Council of Chalcedon, they were persecuted. And that, that didn't help things either. Coptic, and that actually is from the Arabic and the Greek, which means Egyptian. So Coptic is from Arabic and Greek. It means Egyptian. Eventually, this church emerged with a distinct theological and liturgical tradition. And from the 5th to the 9th centuries, the Greek patriarchs lived in the city of Alexandria, while the Coptic patriarchs resided in the desert monasteries of St. Macarius. St. Macarius was a great desert father. So you see the, the strong origins, you know, the, the very conception of the Coptic church is monastic, and that's very, very characteristic of the eastern lung of the church. Even in my own church, the Byzantine Catholic Church, the measure of everything, really, the barometer of the health of the church, the reference point for all the baptized, as Pope John Paul II said in his document, Orientale Lumen, is, in fact, monasticism. So it's very, very big in the east. And interestingly enough, as I always like to point out, the Eastern churches, yes, they ordained married men to the priesthood, so you have a married priesthood in, the, in the many of the Eastern churches, and yet it was precisely these churches with a married priesthood that spawned what we know today as monasticism and eventually religious orders, which, of course, the hallmark of those things is celibacy. So it's interesting, isn't it? Well, after the Arab invasion in the 7th century, the Copts slowly diminished in numbers, and they became a minority in Egypt. And in the 8th century, Arabic replaced Coptic as the official language of the country, and Islamic rule was marked by long periods of persecution, but also by periods of relative freedom, during which the church flourished again and produced outstanding theological and spiritual works in Arabic. More about this persecuted church, an amazing church of the Coptic Orthodox and Coptic Catholic Churches of Egypt when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. 
In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, an Eastern Catholic priest and host of Light of the East Radio. As an Eastern Catholic, my spiritual and family heritage comes from Central Europe, a land that is all too familiar with religious persecution and assaults upon religious liberty. Precisely because of my spiritual and family background as an Eastern Catholic, it is with a certain credibility and urgency that I want to warn Americans of the danger of the recent health and human services mandate forcing religious institutions to do something against their consciences. Far from being just a simple piece of a government-inspired healthcare plan, the health and human services mandate springs from the same philosophies and worldviews that eventually led to the all-out persecution and assault on religious liberty in the areas of the world such as Eastern and Central Europe, Russia, and the Middle East. I am asking all of you to contact your government representatives and to support the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops in getting our government to rescind this unprecedented encroachment on religious liberty. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You're listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas, your host, and we're talking about some of the concerns we have for some of our Eastern Christian, both Orthodox and Catholic brethren in the Middle East, especially in Syria and in Egypt. In particular, we're focusing on the Coptic Christians there, who are the majority Christian. They're the largest Christian community in the Middle East, actually, and, and they're a minority in Egypt, but they're still a significant minority. And there is very strong evidence that the official membership figure reported about them is is actually underestimated. So they say there's about 4 million Coptic Orthodox Christians, but there's probably actually more than that. And I mentioned that the Coptic Church is very monastic-based. And we're going to pause just for a moment, speaking of monastics, because we do have one coming up in our Byzantine liturgical calendar this week, so I don't want to let that go by. And his name is Father Anthony of the Kievan Caves. And his story is this. The renewer and father of monasticism in Russia was born in a little place called Lubecht near Trinigov. And he left his home while still a boy and went to the Holy Mountain, where he became a monk and lived in asceticism at Esfigamano. In response to a vision, the abbot sent him to Russia to found the monastic life there. And by the way, the Holy Mountain is Mount Athos. He chose a cave near Kiev 
When a group of men desiring the monastic life settled around him, he installed Theodosius as their abbot and himself remained in his cave in silence. By the grace of God, the monastery grew and became the mother of Russian monasticism. Anthony endured much evil from men and from demons, but he overcame all by his meekness. He had a great gift of discernment and was able to heal the sick. He went to the Lord in 1073 at the age of 90, leaving his spiritual nursery, which would, through the ages, yield good fruit for the Orthodox peoples of Russia. Just as in Egypt, Russia has a profound and rich monastic tradition. It's interesting, this is Father Anthony of the Kievan Caves in Russia, but also the founder, basically the founder of monasticism as we know it, was also another Anthony, a great, great Anthony who was one of those early Egyptian monks. So we have Anthony, who was an Egyptian, and then Anthony of the Caves, the Kevin Caves, who we commemorate this week in our Byzantine liturgical calendar. All right, so now we continue on with this very monastic-based church called the Coptic Orthodox Church, which, as I mentioned, is persecuted, and we're very concerned that it might undergo even more persecution because of the change in government in Egypt. So that's why we ask you to pray together with us for our persecuted Eastern brethren. And It also becomes very relevant for us to keep an eye on them because what's coming our way in America could get very bad, could become one of these blood persecutions. We hope not, we pray not, but we have to remember things start out with ideologies, and if we're not vigilant through prayer and action and standing up for truth, as our bishops have called us to do, bad things can happen to us as well. So let's keep our eye on these Eastern churches who are undergoing persecution because they can be a great teaching tool, a great witness to us. Now, there are many separate Coptic schools in Egypt, and there's a Sunday school movement that's flourishing. There's all kinds of monasteries and nuns. And the recent rise of Islamic fundamentalism in Egypt has created new problems for this church. Following anti-Coptic outbursts by fundamentalists back in the 1970s, President Sadat might remember that name, President Sadat, if you're old enough, in 1981 placed the Pope, the Egyptian Pope, the Coptic Pope, they call him the Pope as well, Pope Shanuna III, under house arrest in one of the desert monasteries, and he was not released until 1985. And it was generally surmised that his, this action resulted from the government's need to appear even-handed in dealing with conflicting groups. Nevertheless, this interference in the affairs of the Coptic Church disturbed many Egyptian Christians. And there were increasing attacks against Copts by Islamic militants in Egypt in 1997, and of course, even now, which you don't hear much about, except if you're tuning in to Light of the East, so I'm glad you are. Now, the liturgy of this church grew from the original Greek Rite of Alexandria, developing by the 4th century its own native characteristics. And this process took place mainly, as as you might suspect, in the monasteries. And to this day, the Coptic liturgy has many monastic characteristics, and it's celebrated in both Coptic and Arabic. Now, you can find the Coptic church in many parts of the world, actually, not only in Egypt, you can find it in the United States as well. In fact, in 95, the Coptic Holy City divided the single archdiocese of the United States into six dioceses. See, many Eastern churches, both Orthodox and Catholic, in the United States have as the whole country sometimes their only diocese, or we call them eparchy. Or there may be only two. Or like, for instance, in my church, we have just four dioceses or eparchies across the whole country. It's because the Eastern churches in the Western world are very sparsely spread around, so they have to cover huge territories, and we call those territories. For the Coptics in America, you have bishops for Los Angeles and Dallas, 
and other dioceses awaiting bishops were named Western States, Eastern Coast, Mid-Continent, and New York, New Jersey. So altogether, there are more than 70 parishes and 100 priests in the United States that are, that are Coptic, and 15 parishes in Canada. Now, there are some in the British Isles as well, also in northeastern Ireland. I had the privilege of knowing a Coptic Orthodox priest because his parish is right down the street from where my parents live, where I grew up, basically. This is in Seven Hills, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cleveland. It's St. Mark's Coptic Orthodox Church. And one of his claims to fame was, in, in a good way, not in an egotistic way, but in a very good way, was it had two miraculously weeping icons. So imagine that, I had two weeping icons just down the street from my, my home, and my parents' home. And the pastor there was named Father Mikhail Mikhail, and I know him and his son and wonderful people. And the Coptic Church is a real asset to our community. It's a Coptic Orthodox Church named St. Mark's in Seven Hills, Ohio, a suburb of Cleveland. There's also Coptic Catholic churches, not as many as the Coptic Orthodox Church, but most all Orthodox churches have a Eastern Catholic counterpart. And a lot of times the way these Eastern Catholic counterparts came about, such as in the case of the Coptic Catholic Church, is by overtures that were made largely by religious orders towards these Eastern churches. And these orders usually were the Franciscans or the Jesuits. In fact, a formal union between the Catholic and Coptic Orthodox churches took place with the signing of a document by a Coptic delegation at the Council of Florence on February 4, 1442. But because this act was not supported in Egypt, it had no concrete results. In fact, that was the case for a lot of the fruits and results of the Council of Florence, which was an attempt at reunion between the Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic Church, but it, it just didn't fly, especially on the grassroots level. Now, Catholic missionaries were first active among the Copts in the 17th century, and as I mentioned, the Franciscans were in the lead at that time. A Capuchin mission was founded in Cairo in 1630, and in 1675, the Jesuits began missionary activity in Egypt. During the same century, a number of lengthy but fruitless theological exchanges took place between Rome and the Coptic Church. Now, in 1824, something interesting happened. Under the mistaken impression that the Ottoman viceroy wished it to do so, the Holy See erected a patriarchate for Coptic Catholics, but it existed only on paper, and the Ottoman authorities permitted the Coptic Catholics to begin building their own churches only in 1829. But in 1895, Pope Leo XIII reestablished the Patriarchate, and in 1889, he appointed Bishop Cyril Makarvas as Patriarch Cyril II of Alexandria of the Copts. The offices of the Patriarch are located in Cairo, but the largest concentration of Coptic Catholics has always been in Upper Egypt. In recent times, there has been some immigration to other parts of the country. In 1990, Coptic Catholic sources estimated there were about 10,000 faithful in the diaspora under the care of local Latin bishops. There are a total of six parishes located in Paris, Montreal, Brooklyn, and Los Angeles, and Sydney and Melbourne, Australia. So just a little bit about the Coptic Catholic churches. The estimated membership is about 200,000 throughout the world, as opposed to about 4 million at least of Coptic Orthodox Christians. But as I mentioned, whether Catholic or Orthodox, we are very concerned about our Coptic brethren in Egypt, especially because of the new government, and we pray out of that concern for them. What's interesting is that Coptic Christian males oftentimes will wear a little tattoo on their wrist. It's a little tiny tattoo of a cross. And one of the reasons for that is, is because when they are persecuted, when they go around and they meet people, 
if two men sort of extend their hand, they see that on their wrist is that cross, they know that the two of them, they're both you know, Christian. So it's kind of comforting, sort of like, it's almost like, it's almost like an underground church over there, very much persecuted. Again, things you don't hear on the news, but you do hear it here on Light of the East. And that's why I'm so glad that you tune in to us here at Light of the East, because we do try to bring you the Eastern churches, their spirituality, their, their global situations, the situations in which they are ensconced. It's almost impossible to distinguish culture from the faith in many of the Eastern churches or the Eastern lung of the church. And that's why we're here on Light of the East to try to bring you those riches. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois 60491. That's Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W I L L C O O K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>